Well, you can flip in your Bible over to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. We're picking up where we left off last time. And we are in the final hours of the life of Jesus. The final hours of the life of Jesus when he was here on earth. And I want to review just quickly where we are in the story at this point as we get ready to jump into the new stuff today. Jesus has been arrested by the Jewish religious police and the mob that were with them and then put through a trial before the Jewish religious authorities, the Sanhedrin. A number of false witnesses came forward with accusations and testimonies against Jesus, but, but none of it could be corroborated. None of it could be used to convict Jesus of any crimes of any consequence. Frustrated, the high priest finally stepped in and demanded from Jesus, saying, I charge you under the oath of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, You have said so, but I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Well, when the high priest heard this, he tore his clothes and he thundered. He spoke in blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? And all of those who were present agreed. They said, He is worthy of death. Well, there was also a side story going on during these happenings, which we looked at. The story of Peter struggling to remain loyal to Jesus in the midst of all of the confusion and the chaos that was taking place surrounding the arrest and the trial of Jesus. Earlier that same evening, Peter had made the bold proclamation that he would remain loyal to Jesus no matter what. Even if he had to die for Jesus, he would not disown him. Well, Peter then proved his determination when the mob showed up to arrest Jesus. Peter, he took out his sword and he started swinging it. And he managed to cut off the ear of a man who was there before Jesus put a stop to all of the fighting. The mob, they took Jesus to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the Sanhedrin were assembled for this trial. And Peter, afraid for his own life too at this point, snuck into the courtyard to try to listen in on the proceedings. While warming himself at the fire, a servant girl identified him as one of those who were with Jesus, but, G but Peter, he denied it. And then a little later, another servant girl saw him and identified him as being one of those who were with Jesus. But again, Peter denied it, swearing, I don't know this man, Jesus. And then some of the other people there said to Peter, surely you're one of his guys. Your accent gives you away. But Peter, he swore an oath. He didn't know Jesus. And then immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered what Jesus had told him earlier that night, that before the rooster crowed, Peter would deny him three times. Peter, it said, he went out and he wept bitterly heartbroken that he had failed Jesus. That will not be the end of Peter's story, though. Peter will go on to be used by the Lord as an important leader in the early church. 
Many years later, he will die for his faith in Jesus, not by taking a bold stand and swinging his sword, trying to defend Jesus like he did that night when Jesus was arrested, but instead, he will die as a humble martyr for Jesus. And it will be a beautiful expression of the life-changing work that the Lord does in Peter over the many years of his life. Well, we noted how different Peter's denial of Jesus was compared to Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Judas was motivated by selfish greed and power. He saw Jesus as a means to an end. He was a tool for accomplishing Judas's own goals. Well, today, as part of the Bible study, we're going to read about the end of Judas's story, and it's a very different story from that of Peter. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 27 of Matthew, it says, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. The Jewish authorities want to have Jesus killed, so they bind him, they lead him away, handing him over to the Roman governor, Pilate. Now the question is, why do they have to bring Jesus to Pilate? The Romans granted the Jews the authority to try, convict, and punish their own people for virtually everything except capital crimes. Death penalty cases had to be presented to the Roman authorities and carried out by them. The Jewish leaders face a small problem, though. The, the Romans would not consider blasphemy a crime worthy of the death penalty. Blasphemy was a religious issue, and the Romans didn't want to get involved in those kinds of things. So the Jewish authorities, they charged Jesus with high treason something the Romans would certainly have some interest in. They accused Jesus of misleading the people, opposing the payment of taxes to the Romans, claiming to be a king. It's ironic to consider that they are accusing Jesus of being the very kind of Messiah that Jesus repeatedly refused to be, a Messiah political-type king. Well, Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor over Judea from A.D. 26 to 36. Pilate is described by historians of the time as one who was greedy, inflexible, cruel, and who resorted to robbery and oppression. He was not a very nice guy. He's known to have treated Jewish custom with great contempt. Almost immediately upon his arrival in Palestine in AD 26, he was at odds with the Jews. He thought the Jews were a bunch of strange religious fanatics. He had a very strong prejudice against the Jews. He didn't like the Jews, and in turn, the Jews didn't like him either. Knowing this creates an interesting background for the interaction between the Jews and Pilate. The Jewish leaders are able to put aside their hatred for Pilate here in the interest of their greater hatred for Jesus. Well, Jesus inserts at this point of his story 
the rest of Judas's story. So in verse 3, he says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Overcome with guilt for betraying Jesus, Judas, he tries to return the money that the religious leaders had given him for his treachery. Perhaps Judas didn't realize what the ultimate consequence of his actions would be leading to the execution of Jesus. Maybe he thought Jesus would only be jailed for a time and then released. Maybe he thought the arrest of Jesus was going to force Jesus to make his move, declare himself Messiah and King, and then lead a rebellion against the Romans. We don't really know what was going on in Judas's mind and what motivated him in all that he did. But the religious leaders, they have no interest in dealing with Judas and his guilty feelings about what he's done. They have what they want, Jesus. And their response to Judas is heartless. What is that to us? That's your responsibility. That's your problem, Judas. Judas, he feels trapped with no options. He can't undo what he has done. In an act of utter despair and hopelessness, he throws the money into the temple and he goes out and he hangs himself. A very tragic end for this person. Judas's story serves as a stark and sad illustration of Galatians 6, 7, and 8, where it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Judas had spent his life choosing to satisfy his sinful nature. And from that same nature, he ends up reaping destruction. Verse 6, it says, The high priest picked up the coins that Judas had tossed into the temple and said, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That's why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. The hypocrisy of the religious leaders is stunning here. As usual, they are preoccupied with a strict wooden following of the law of God given through Moses, while at the same time completely blind to their own obvious wickedness. They refused to put this money that had been paid to Judas into the temple treasury because it is blood money, they say. It's money that was used to do an evil thing which will result in the death of someone, Jesus. They completely ignore the gross contradiction that they themselves are the very ones who gave Judas the money. 
to betray Jesus in the first place. So in this act of hypocritical charity, rather than accept the money into the temple treasury, they use it to purchase a plot of land to be used as a cemetery for outsiders who have no means and for criminals. Human beings play such crazy mind games with themselves, don't they, to justify their actions. We lie to ourselves. We shift blame away from ourselves. We judge and condemn others while justifying ourselves for the very same things. Lord, have mercy on us. And then as Matthew has done throughout his telling of the story of Jesus, he points out here in verses 9 and 10 that the price paid for the betrayal of Jesus and what ends up being done with that money are fulfillments of prophecies that were made hundreds of years beforehand. Matthew now returns us to the story of Jesus before the Roman governor Pilate in verse 11. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Remember, the Jewish leaders, they have told Pilate that Jesus claims to be a king. He is a revolutionary trying to overthrow Roman rule. Jesus answers his question indirectly. See, the understanding that Pilate and Jesus have about what it means that Jesus is a king are literally worlds apart. John gives us more of the content of this conversation between Pilate and Jesus. Jesus tells Pilate that his kingdom is not of this world. 12, when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. The Jewish leaders are accusing Jesus of many things, but Jesus says nothing in response. Pilate presses Jesus to defend himself against their accusations, but Jesus, he continues to say nothing. Pilate is amazed, it says here, by Jesus' composure and his refusal to defend himself against these accusations that are being brought Pilate has never encountered anyone like Jesus, nor has anyone else. It brings to mind the prophecy of Isaiah about the Messiah in Isaiah 53, 7. says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Luke tells us that during this initial interrogation, Pilate learns that Jesus is from Galilee, which is under the jurisdiction of the Tetrarch of Galilee, Herod Antipas, who happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. So Pilate, hoping to get out of having to render judgment about Jesus, being able to sense that this is, this is a messy case. 
he sends Jesus to Herod Antipas. And you might remember that this Herod is the same Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. Herod questions Jesus and hopes Jesus will perform some kind of miracle for his entertainment. But Jesus doesn't play along. Herod quickly tires of the whole thing, and he sends Jesus back to Pilate after letting his own soldiers have some fun mocking Jesus and beating him up a bit. And it picks up in verse 15 then. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. There was a tradition that had been established as an act of goodwill on the part of the Romans toward the Jews that during their Passover celebration, one of their people that was in the Roman prison would be fully pardoned and released. Pilate is hoping to use this as an opportunity to release Jesus in spite of the wishes of the Jewish leaders. Pilate saw through the charade of the Jewish leaders who were claiming to have Jesus arrested out of loyalty to Rome. He knew they were jealous and threatened by Jesus' influence with the common people. He knew Jesus wasn't guilty of anything, certainly not guilty of anything deserving death. So Pilate, he asked the crowd who they want him to release, Jesus or the troublemaker Barabbas, who had led a rebellion and apparently committed murder in the process. Now, you may have noticed that Barabbas also has the name Jesus. So, in a very interesting wordplay here, Pilate is asking the crowd which Jesus they want released. Jesus, the rebel murderer, or Jesus, the Messiah? Verse 19 says, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So Pilate's wife had some kind of dream that day about Jesus, which was so disturbing that she sends word to Pilate to not get involved in this thing. Well, it's too late. Pilate is already up to his neck in it all now. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. The Jewish leaders, they are not about to let this loophole of releasing a prisoner during the Passover celebration derail their plans to have Jesus killed. So they stir up the crowd to ask that Barabbas be the one released instead of Jesus. In verse 21, it says, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. 
What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They all answered, Crucify him! Why, what crime has he committed? Pilate asked. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! So when Pilate asked the crowd what they want to do with Jesus, knowing that he's not guilty of anything, the crowd shouts, crucify him. He asks, why? What crime has he done? And the crowd just shouts louder, crucify him. It's a mob mentality that has taken over. They want blood. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but then instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Pilate had already gotten himself into trouble with those above him in Rome for his poor handling of the Jews in the past. The last thing he needed is for this to become an incident that gets back to this superiors in Rome. So he chooses what is politically expedient for himself here rather than concerning himself that real justice is carried out. Pilate, he doesn't want to be responsible, though, for Jesus' death, knowing that he's innocent. So Pilate, he goes through this ceremony in front of the crowd in an effort to release himself of the guilt. He washes his hands in a basin of water and he tells them, I'm innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. I wash my hands of it. Don't you wish it was that easy to wash guilt away? Unfortunately, no amount of hand-washing and proclamation-making by us can take our guilt away. Well, shockingly, the crowd responds to Pilate saying, Yes! His blood is on us and on our children. Pilate said to them, it's your responsibility. Those are the same words that the Jewish leaders said to Judas. When Judas, filled with remorse, he tried to give back the money that they had paid him to betray Jesus. We read it earlier. He said, I've sinned for I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? That is your responsibility. The Jewish leaders, they weren't willing to share in Judas' guilt for betraying Jesus, but now they are willing to take on the guilt for the death of Jesus. Twenty-six. Says then he, Pilate, released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. We're going to stop there this morning in the story. In closing, I ask you this question Who's responsible for the death of Jesus? Who's responsible for the death of Jesus? Was it Judas who betrayed Jesus, enabling the Jewish leaders to arrest him? 
or maybe the Jewish leaders who condemned him to death and handed him over to the Romans to be executed. Maybe it's the frenzied crowd who demanded that Jesus be crucified. The Roman governor Pilate, who capitulated to the demands of the crowd and he gives the order for Jesus to be crucified. Or maybe the Roman soldiers who will carry out the actual executing of Jesus. Well, they're all responsible for the death of Jesus, and not only them, but also every human being who has ever lived and who will ever live on this planet. We are all responsible for the death of Jesus. Every single one of us. Our sins killed Jesus, and he was killed for our sins. Every one of us helped put Jesus on that cross to be killed. And he was put on that cross to die for the sins of every one of us. And rather than trying to remove our guilt the way that Judas tried by getting rid of the blood money by throwing it into the temple, or the way Pilate tried by washing his hands, we need to come to Jesus and let him remove our guilt. He died for our sins to remove our guilt before God. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds You've been healed. 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And then Mark 10.45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the one that we must come to to have our guilt really removed. John 1, 12, John writes in the introduction to his gospel, his story of Jesus' life. He says, yet to all who did receive him, Jesus to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Jesus as your Savior? Have you accepted his death as the sacrifice for your sins? That's why we're here. That's what we're talking about. I want to encourage you, if you've not done that, to do that today. Recognize that Jesus died for you. Recognize that his death, you contributed to it as much as I did and everybody else did. And at the same time, he died for you to take your guilt away. He died as a sacrifice for your sin. Acknowledge that. 
Ask for his forgiveness. Turn your life to him. Follow him. And you'll receive forgiveness and his new life in you. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to our planet, a broken, fallen, lost world to rescue us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sin. And I, I, I want to pray specifically and in particular, Lord, for, for anyone here this morning who has not received that gift that you've given through your son, Jesus. Today would be the day that they, 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 they finally go, yeah, I'm guilty. I need your forgiveness. And I, I thank you, Lord, for dying for me. Forgive me. Come into my life and change me. Give me your new life. I pray that that is so for every single person here, Lord. Lord, encourage your people today. Fill us with a sense of gratitude for what you have done for us, Lord. What a wonderful thing it is to be the children of God and to know that our sin is forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.